Well, welcome to a new episode of ESAB's Global Economy Podcast. My name is Matthias Bauer. I'm a director at ESAB and the host of today's program. Today we have April 11, 2023, and our guest today is Nigel Corrin. Nigel is a trade and technology expert at one of the leading, if not the leading economic and technology policy think tanks in the world, the Information Technology and Innovation Foundation, in short, ITIF, which is based in Washington, D.C. Our overarching topic today is the regulation of data and data flows. And uh, more specifically, we want to talk about the pros and cons, the potential benefits, and also the potential costs of new regulatory tool that is currently in the making in the EU and whose intention is to improve the level of cybersecurity for all sorts of cloud computing services. It is called the EUCS, the first government-designed framework for cybersecurity in the domain of cloud services. Nigel, before we dive into today's topic, may I ask you to briefly introduce our audience into your organization and your work at ITIF? Yes, of course. Thanks. It's great to be here with you, Matthias and ESIP. My name is Nigel Corey. I cover all manner of digital and high-tech trade issues, along with digital governance more broadly, given how so many of these issues dealt with internationally now, not just within the scope of trade agreements. And along here with my colleagues at ITIF, we have about 40-odd staff based here in DC, but also in Europe, where we focus on the intersection between public policy and innovation. And so we have centers here that focus on data innovation, clean energy innovation, competition policy and such. And so it provides me with a range of colleagues to work with on issues like the EUCS, which cuts across so many different issues. Well, thanks a lot. I mean, I know ITIF from my own work and I am a frequent visitor of ITIF's website and I can only encourage our audience to pay a visit to Nigel's profile on ITIF's website where you find a lot of expertise on international trade and, and also uh, global technology policy. That said, Nigel, one of your recent publications is about the EUCS, the EU's proposed cybersecurity certification framework. Could you please outline what the EUCS is about and perhaps also which problems policymakers intend to address with a European-style cybersecurity certification uh, regime? Yeah, of course. I mean, EUCS is on its face a fair and reasonable policy uh, in terms of what it hopes to do is to provide a harmonized approach to cloud cybersecurity certifications to better ensure uh, an overall level of protection in ensuring that the cloud services that, say, government services are using are best in class in securing and protecting their data, and as well as ensuring that again, government services or others have a, a clearer idea of who they should be using. So instead of each government agency going out and putting out contracts and such for cloud providers, there's a standardized approach, there's a standardized certification so that they know who 
uh, meets what level of protection, uh, thus making it much easier for them in in contracting services from uh, providers that that are obviously committed to best practices in regards to cybersecurity. Europe is not alone in trying to design such a certification. They're very common around the world, and and individual EU member states have their own programs. So here in the United States, there's the US Federal Risk and Authorization Management Program, FedRAMP, but Australia, Japan, South Korea, the United Kingdom and others all have similar programs whereby they use a certification to ensure that cloud services that government agencies typically use are committed to good cybersecurity practices. Where is the problem with the EU proposal, which is still in flux, is that following uh, the lead from what France has done in its own sort of country-based system, which is known as Secnum Cloud, is it's injected foreign ownership and control as a critical criteria in judging whether a cloud provider can be deemed trusted or not. And that's uh, an approach that's more akin to what China does, which has a hugely restrictive regulatory and cybersecurity framework that essentially precludes foreign cloud providers from setting up and operating their own cloud services in China. And it is one where China has made sort of local ownership control central. France has largely followed the China model in requiring forced local data storage, local staff, and trying to basically cut off connection to outside IT services and governments. And France's initial proposal included hard caps on foreign ownership and board seats and such. And so in many ways, in my mind, it actually, the French Secnum Cloud sort of cyber security cloud strategy elaborated the most prescriptive outline of what some policymakers in France and in Europe see as digital sovereignty, which is essentially European owned and controlled and otherwise protectionist as it relates to foreign providers. And so, but what we've seen is obviously that the European proposal has taken many of its initial starting points from the French proposal in considering similarly restrictive and discriminatory provisions, but that it has raised a whole number of concerns uh, amongst EU member states and EU organizations, because there are obviously broader implications here, obviously trade being one, but also in terms of what this actually does as per the the laws and regulations of the EU in terms of what it was supposed to do versus the broad scope of what this does, what sort of components of this are purely technical from a cybersecurity perspective, which is sort of well and fine, but like many of these provisions as it relates to sovereignty and ownership are closer to being a political decision, which EU member states have not sort of set and decided. And so it means the proposal while still far from being finalized, includes many highly problematic provisions that would make life difficult, if not impossible, for foreign cloud providers to be deemed trusted in this system. The other critical part of the problem with the EU approach is that even if they were going to take this sort of more restrictive approach to cloud services being used by the government, that would be one thing and there would still be issues with that. But the bigger problem with the EU approach is that it will be applied far more broadly to the EU digital economy. For example, in comparison, in my last report, I compared the EU cloud certification cybersecurity strategy to the US FedRAMP system, whereas FedRAMP only applies to cloud services used by the US federal government. So it's a very narrow part of the market. 
And even then, it's open to foreign players. And that there, I, I counted somewhere between 20 or 30 foreign firms, including European firms that have been certified FedRAMP, low, medium, and high, and so can provide uh, secure cloud services to the Department of Defense or the State Department or whatever it may be. But again, it's very narrow. The scope of many of the proposals in the EU at the moment are very broad. It would not just be government. It would be to other firms and sectors deemed vital or essential of such. So, for example, the French Secondum Cloud proposal applies not just to government, but to 600 plus other firms deemed vital and essential. So this restrictive and discriminatory uh, approach will have a much broader impact on, on the economy as opposed to something that's obviously more purely tailored towards government services. Yeah, um, that sounds like there are many uncertainties that are connected with this uh, new regulatory tool, which is still at the stage of being a proposal. At the same time, I know that there hasn't been an impact assessment so far, and we haven't seen an ordinary legislative initiative in the EU. I think this is a bit concerning given the overall scope that you just outlined of the proposed tool, also in comparison to FedRAMP in the United States. Perhaps it's necessary for our listeners to, to briefly recap uh, what the most controversial provisions are actually about. And you briefly mentioned them. And I think they are explicitly outlined in a piece that is called Annex J of the proposal, stating that for so-called high assurance areas, certification in the EU is restricted exclusively to cloud providers that are headquartered in the EU, but also EU established vendors that do not have a controlling share by a foreign headquartered parent, which could be an entity based in your or country, the United States. And it's also prohibited to store and process uh, data outside the EU. Imagine you briefly uh, touched up on it. Um, I mean, we are talking about an EU approach, but at the same time, the EU, which is or has been in the past advocating the free flow of cross-border data, it is now considering what I would call a Chinese approach to the regulation of, by definition, data-intensive cloud services. So. Yeah. Why is that? So why is the EU now so eager to mirror an approach that we know for a very long time it be exactly what is being pursued in, in China and a few more other countries like Brazil, India, Vietnam that implemented data localization policies in the past? Yeah, no, it shows the contrast, if not the hypocrisy underlying many of the European Union's policies and approaches to data and digital trade and such, in that they're essentially advocating for a model of local ownership and control that is obviously breaches a whole bunch of World Trade Organization commitments in relation to what EU member states and the EU have made about treating local and foreign providers the same. It's just also a fundamentally different approach in terms of how to regulate the internet in terms of if a, as a firm is operating in Europe, it has a legal nexus there and is under EU jurisdiction. So whatever requirements Europe puts on those firms in relation to data privacy or cybersecurity, those firms have to abide by. Instead, Europe uses this nationality criteria as the defining criteria. 
in that if you are foreign, you are not to be trusted, which is, as you pointed out, the Chinese approach, which they use extensively for digital protectionism, but also in terms of political control and surveillance. And so it's hugely problematic when you've got the EU, which in many areas is committed to open, rule-based, targeted sort of digital policy making, that it would succumb to this type of sort of foreign versus local dichotomy in determining who will play a role in obviously a critical and large uh, growing part of the EU economy. And in that way, Europe, by following China, provides cover for China and others to continue on and double down on this, on how they use these restrictive and regressive digital policies to control their economy and control their people and makes the job that much harder for countries to actually come together elsewhere around the world on open new, new digital trade rules to manage legitimate government concerns and issues, but in a way that doesn't fundamentally undermine data flows and digital trade. And it's suppose in final, it's also especially disappointing, obviously, given the, the current level of cybersecurity cooperation between the EU and the US. This is a focal point for discussions at the EU-US Transatlantic Trade and Technology Council, and also happens as the EU and US have been working for some time on a new transatlantic data privacy framework, which deals with a parallel set of issues and concerns around data privacy and surveillance. And while they stand up one new pillar to work together, the French Secnum cloud and this EUCS proposal is basically, it's essentially undermining it by using new hypothetical threats about extraterritorial access to data to undermine foreign involvement in the EU digital economy and to potentially sort of cut off many of the data flows that would otherwise happen or be supported by this new mechanism because uh, US cloud providers would be deemed untrusted in Europe and no longer be able to provide services for a, a large part of the EU digital economy. Yeah, and uh, again, the EUCS was from the very beginning intended to be a voluntary technical framework. <laughs> now there is the risk that these sovereignty requirements become mandatory based on several EU legal texts. You highlighted that it can be considered a tool for digital protectionism, perhaps even political control, as we see in many instances in China. At the same time, there are economic impacts and there are also impacts on cyber security. If we assume that the law will be implemented in, or the regulation will be implemented, it will, based on what we know so far, be kind of a delegated act, assuming that it will be implemented in the EU, what could be the economic impacts, especially for smaller EU member states that lack the establishment of, first of all, large technology companies that lack the establishment of experienced cybersecurity agencies, countries where governmental organizations and businesses intensively rely on services that are provided by large and very large U.S. American technology companies like I IBM, Google, or Amazon Web Services, for example. Also bearing in mind that being a template taken from the French Segnum Cloud uh, regulation and recognizing that there are only a few, I think three in total, three companies that are currently uh, meeting the conditions of the cybersecurity framework, how would that impact on cloud 
services adopters in other EU member states. I can well imagine that even in Germany, the largest cloud services companies or telecommunication companies like Deutsche Telekom will find it hard to, from one day to another or within a very short period of time, start providing services that fulfill all the requirements that the Segnum cloud regime or the the future EUCS demands them to adhere to. So how would the economic impacts, perhaps also the cybersecurity impacts look like? Yeah, no, it's a good point because France, Spain, Italy, the main drivers of this protectionist approach to cloud cybersecurity certifications, but the impact is much broader economically and regulatory to to other EU member states, especially uh, the smaller ones, because Good. What matters with cybersecurity is uh, how a firm is committed to best-in-class uh, legal, technical, and administrative controls in and around how data is used. And in today's world, with constantly changing cyber threats, the advantage is obviously is with large firms because this is extremely difficult, challenging, takes a lot of money and expertise to continuously try and stay one step ahead of the cyber threats. And so. If what this the restrictive EUCS proposal does is essentially preclude a number of large US cloud providers from operating in Europe, it essentially will cut off the predominant supplier in many, especially small and medium-sized EU member states, because there just aren't that many globally competitive and cybersecurity expertise-based cloud providers. And so I heard this in reflection from one official from a Eastern European EU member state was that they just didn't realize that there was really only a small number of providers in their country and that most of them were foreign. And so if this EECS came into effect, they would be severely limited in who they could choose. And they just didn't have the impression that those remaining providers were really up to scratch or performed to a similar level as a Google or AWS and others. And so that would preclude the ready, affordable access they already have to these services that are, are clearly committed to best-in-class cybersecurity practices. And so that would upend the cybersecurity and cloud market from a cybersecurity perspective, but also from an economic perspective, because as you mentioned, like a lot of firms in Europe want to use a cloud provider, not just for EU operations, but global. And so they want to make it as simple as possible. So if they have some sort of services designated to the highest level under this proposed EUCS for certain services they provide, but then use other services as a part of commercial operations in Europe and elsewhere, that just makes their life and their management of their IT systems easier. If they've got to slice and dice their IT operations across multiple different providers, things get much harder and much more difficult, especially again, how complicated and costly it is to maintain best-in-class cybersecurity defenses. And so I think the report that you did, ESIP did on the economic costs of this are really important for European policymakers to consider in that, with especially in the absence of any sort of like impact assessment as to the pros and cons of these various proposals and the provisions would have a much broader impact than they probably recognized, which is probably why they didn't do an impact assessment, but that if European policymakers want European industry to be globally competitive in digital and other advanced technology sectors, then they need to have access to best-in-class digital 
tools which they use as an input and service for both EU operations and global operations. Talking about best-in-class uh, cloud services, before we uh, move to the last question that I have on this topic, let me just refer to one example that we know from France. Actually, you, you talked about companies that uh, want to adopt one technology that is appropriate for solving challenges for facilitating business operations globally across a company in operating different markets. But there is one interesting example from France from an organization called the French Health Data Hub, which is uh, intended to operate within French national borders almost exclusively, I would say. Um, the French Health Data Hub, it was set up in 2019. The objective was to collect uh, health data basically from French citizens and with these data encourage research and development in the pharmaceutical industry, the medical device industry. And back then the authorities were looking for a cloud services provider uh, able to accomplish all of these services and, and meet all of the conditions that were required by the authority. and. Back then, the tender went to Microsoft, a U.S. company, obviously, which promised to deliver everything demanded by the responsible authority. But as soon as it got public, uh, French lawmakers, they complained that, you know, French citizens' health data cannot be handled by a U.S. American technology company. And the, the contract was cancelled. And... Uh, uh, Ever since, I mean, we're talking about 2019, ever since uh, Stephanie Converse, uh, the director and still serving director of the French Health Data Hub, uh, she continued arguing that there is no suitable replacement for the services offered by Microsoft. And a few weeks ago, she said that a few weeks ago, I mean, we are talking about, you know, four years, four years, almost four years since the kind of inauguration of the debt. The uh, health data. A few weeks ago, she said that the assessment is that for the moment we still do not have sovereign solutions that can handle the services that we look for. And the health data hub in France it needs high storage and high computing capacity, and at the same time, at a very very high level of cybersecurity. And she stated that American solutions are better for cybersecurity services. And that's a, a very telling example from France where the original you know, sovereignty requirement uh, framework is is coming from. Well, but now uh, a final question to you before we come to an end. Um, I mean, we have heard all of these criticisms, potential economic consequences, negative consequences for cybersecurity, which was the intent, you know, improving cybersecurity was the intention for the UCS in the first place, but also trade policy issues, including issues that have a negative impact on EU-US economic diplomacy. Now that we've heard all of these criticisms, do you think there are better measures to deal with countries like China, for which we, I think, have legitimate concerns about cybersecurity? So are there better measures to deal with countries like China without undermining the uh, economic and political cooperation with like-minded partners? Yeah, the short answer is yes. And while it would not be easy, it's essential. And there is a pathway to progress to addressing these types of transatlantic digital issues, whether it's data privacy, 
or cybersecurity, the best vehicle we have at the moment is the US Trade and Technology Council, uh, which has met a couple of times and is still in its relatively early stages of figuring out how do the two sides put their sort of differences to sort of one side and figure out how do we work together on a broad range of trade and technology issues because we recognize that we share more in common than we do not and that we have uh, a shared geostrategic and geoeconomic interest in, in trying to get on the same page on these issues given China's just fundamentally different approach to trade, economics, human rights, and political interests and concerns. But the TTC has been, I think, underperforming, to be polite, in what it has done in trying to like put some of these issues on the table, especially like EUCS, because it clearly undermines the intent and spirit of the TTC and is completely at odds with where the focus of European efforts should be, which is on the technical aspects of providing good cybersecurity and the fact that there are models in the US and others to use as a baseline for that um, to ensure that they obviously ensure that these critical services are provided with at a high level of protection, but in a way that is not discriminatory and doesn't undermine sort of broader transatlantic trade and interests. And on that, I mean, there are a number of things that they could otherwise do on cybersecurity that would be great for both sides. They could come together to talk about what technical standards they use. Um, the US has a well-developed sort of library of cybersecurity technical standards that they use as a part of the US FedRAMP. They have always been leading the US uh, National Institute for uh, Standards and Technology has been leading a global effort on developing very important post-quantum encryption standards. There could be discussions there. There could be discussions about mutual recognition of cloud cybersecurity regimes once EUCS is finalized such that an EU firm that is certified to a, a moderate level, say in Europe, could be face an easier path to being designated to a moderate level in the US system and such. And so there are a bunch of things. And then also to their credit, it sounds like the US and the EU are going to be talking more specifically about these types of digital regulation issues like EECS. Also, it was good to hear that the EU and US have recently restarted negotiations for a e-evidence slash cloud act agreement to address concerns about law enforcement access to data across the Atlantic, which would be an important sort of parallel pillar to the new transatlantic data privacy framework to truly sort of address legitimate underlying concerns about surveillance and law enforcement and data privacy in a way that both sides fully trust and understand how respective parties are dealing with these sort of sensitive issues and thus in doing so provide a truly sort of global gold standard for addressing these issues that are at the heart of many global data related concerns. Yeah, I agree. And I very much look forward to seeing the first, let's say, proposal of, for example, an e-evidence agreement between the EU and the US. It would probably solve many, many problems, even though I assume that there will still be activists uh, <laughs> trying to uh, undermine the credibility yeah. of such at, le at least it would make it a little harder for these French policymakers to try and hide behind these hypothetical concerns when there are concrete, pragmatic tools that authorities are using to address legitimate concerns. So it removes the veil that they use to try and hide these clearly protectionist policies, whether it's in the, the health data space in France or cloud cybersecurity or whatnot. I agree. 
Well, thanks a lot for these pragmatic and also encouraging final remarks and, and also recommendations. Thank you very much for providing your extensive expertise on the topic uh, to our listeners. I very much hope, as you do, that many policymakers in Europe, the United States, perhaps also in China, tune in to get a better understanding about data policies, uh, cybersecurity of advanced cloud services, and what they can do what I shouldn't do to address alleged challenges and uh, come out with appropriate regulation. Thank you very much. Uh, let us keep in touch on our themes. Of course. No, I really appreciate the opportunity, Matthias and ESIP. It was great to be here. Likewise. Thank you. Thank you.